If you'd like to read along with me this morning, I'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and be reading verses 1 through 9. Matthew 13, 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but the sun rose and scorched them. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and he, excuse me. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The title of our sermon this morning is the sower, the seed, and the soil. It's getting close to planting season, isn't it? It's getting pretty close. Uh, spring will be here before you know it, and there will be gardens being put out and planted and, and being prepared to do that. Some gardeners save seed from the previous year, and they hold that over the winter, and when it comes time to plant, They'll sow the seed with which they have uh, allowed themselves to keep. Now, usually what happens is we'll go buy seed, won't we? We'll go to a vendor of some type, whether it's Lowe's or Walmart or the local planting store, and we'll buy the seeds that we want to plant. And we'll get our seeds in that way. And so uh, when we do that, We buy those seeds with a belief, don't we? We buy seed with the belief that that seed will produce what I'm putting in the ground. That that seed will actually grow. I'm going to plant something and in a few weeks or several weeks or whatever the case may be, that particular seed or plant will produce what I'm wanting to produce. Now how many of us who plant gardens put something in the ground that we know will not grow? Well, we're going to avoid that seed, aren't we? Now, I may plant something in the ground and it not do what I want it to do, but it's not because the seed was defective normally, right? But that could be the case. Now, we understand the necessity of perfect seeds, don't we? A seed can't be defective. The seed has to be perfect. It has to be able to do what we want it to do. And, of course, that is to produce after its kind. That's the way production is made, isn't it? A seed will produce after its kind in the physical world every single time. If it produces, it will produce after its kind. At the same time, we may have saved or, perf- uh, or uh, purchased perfect seeds, but my knowledge in putting out those seeds or planting those seeds 
is not what it ought to be. Now we have another problem, don't we? And then, of course, understanding that, we may have a perfect seed. I may know exactly what I'm doing. But if I do not prepare the ground to receive that seed, now we have a whole other problem. So we have the possibility of having three huge problems here when it comes to harvesting something that we want to harvest, something we have planted. You have to, you have to have someone to put it out. We have to plant. We have to have a perfect seed, but we also have to prepare the soil. Now these same truths can describe the process of sowing the seed of the kingdom. That very seed spoken of in our parable. You have to have someone to sow the seed. You have to have someone to know how to sow the seed. And you have to have some work in preparing the ground. If we don't pay any attention to the ground, it doesn't matter if we sow, if we have the knowledge necessary to sow, but it still is not going to help us any. We're not going to receive what we want to receive. If we pay no attention to any aspect of this sowing process and we have one that is not what it ought to be, well, we're going to have a problem in our production and in our harvesting. If one is lacking, the other two will be harmed. Right? That just makes sense, doesn't it? As we consider the sower, the seed, and the soil this morning, let's begin with the sower. The sower has a purpose. What's the purpose of a sower? To sow the seed. We understand that. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? As I read the parable of the sower, in my mind I can see Jesus speaking to a crowd of people and in the background someone is sowing seed. Normally what they would do, they would have some kind of a, uh, a made apparatus of a bag of some sort, a cloth, they would... They would pull up their uh, their robe and they would fill it full of whatever seed they're sowing and they would cast that out as they walked. And I see that in my mind anyway as I read this parable. Now understanding that the sower in this physical world and the sower in the spiritual world is absolutely necessary, we still have to understand something. All we can do is sow, right? We have no control over the harvest, as far as it being produced. Now, we have to do our part, but God delivers the harvest, both physically and spiritually. Oh, we might sow corn seed. We might even go out and uh, fertilize it, but isn't that part of the ground preparation, whether you do it before or after the seed is sown? Still part of the ground preparation. Do you imagine people have gone out and have sowed different types of seed and have put pest control on the on the plants when they begin to grow, put weed control on the plants when they begin to grow, fertilized it so they would have all sorts of nu- nutrients coming into the roots of that plant and then still have no harvest? Sure, that's happened a lot. That's happened a lot. And so we have to understand We cannot base our success in the spiritual realm on whether or not 
the harvest is brought in as long as we're sowing and we're willing to bring the harvest in, right? God gives the bounty. By inspiration, Isaiah said this, Isaiah 55, beginning with verse 10. He said, For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And of course we remember the statement Paul made to the Corinthian brethren, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. One of the characteristics of a sower is that they must have patience or learn to have patience, Right? We can't sow something in our gardens and then sit out there in a chair 24 hours a day waiting for that plant to to push through the soil. We don't have time for that, do we? We can't certainly rush the thing to grow. It just has to simply germinate and grow on its own. So seed never comes up overnight. And when we're talking about the seed of the kingdom... It doesn't come up overnight usually, and in fact, it may take years for that seed to germinate. But we've sown the seed. We fertilized, we watered, we prepared the soil, right? And at some point, depending on if our preparation for the soil is done correctly, and even if it is done correctly, it still depends on that soil as to whether or not that seed will come up. Sowing demands patience, but it also demands sowing at all times. Do you know there is no perfect time to sow the seed of the kingdom? There's only now. There's only the present time. There's only the opportunities placed before us now. We can't wait on a perfect time to to sow the seed of the kingdom. In fact, Paul told Timothy the perfect time to sow the uh, the seed. He said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy 4, 2. So what was he saying? In real time, he said, Timothy, preach the word. Now, he didn't say preach the word on Sunday and then take the rest of the week off. Preach the Word indicates always be preaching the Word. Always be sowing the seed. There is no perfect time. There is only right now. Also something a sower ought to understand in his having a purpose to sow is that he may not be the one to bring in the harvest. He may sow it. Someone else may come along and water it. And there may be entirely someone else comes through and harvests what has been produced. It may be the fact that a hard-working congregation gets out into the community, sows the seed of the kingdom, works hard, prepares the soil, spends time with those people, and then we may have a gospel meeting and some visiting preacher come in here and, and preach an exceptionally stirring sermon and it causes something to click in the minds of those where the seed has been sown. But guess what? Wonderful. 
will bring in the harvest. Or he will want. Someone will bring in the harvest. doesn't have to be the one who sowed the seed. Because that's not the main focus, right? The main focus isn't on who sowed the seed. The main focus is the production that comes from sowing that seed. Now, does that mean we fail if no harvest? No, that's not what that means. It means we pray for the harvest. We want it to come in. We want it to be bountiful. But as long as we're sowing the seed, that's what God has asked from us. And that's all He expects. We understand the purpose of the sower, but let's focus for just a few moments on the principles of the sower. To begin with, the seed must be sown in love. We can't sow the seed from a from a vantage point of arrogance that I have all the answers and you know nothing and I want to enlighten you. Well, you know, I've had people speak to me that way. It doesn't go over very well as far as I'm concerned. I immediately close them off. I'm not interested in what they have to say. Notice what Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, he said, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. See, I can't strive over the Scripture. That doesn't mean we don't stand firm on the truth. That doesn't mean we don't rebuke error when it comes our way. But we're talking about sowing the seed. We're not talking about pruning the plant. Right? There's a place for pruning the plant. But we're talking about sowing the seed. There is enough things in this world to argue about The Bible should not be one of them when we're sowing the seed, right? We need to simply sow the seed in love. We remember what Paul told those in Ephesus, Ephesus 4.15. He said that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. Why? So they may grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. We want to produce something, and so we have to sow the seed with tender kindness. How many of us go out and plant tomato plants and then walk right through the the, the row and step on each one of them to make sure that we've got the, the ground tamped down around them good enough? That doesn't happen, does it? Not if we want tomatoes. We tenderly care for what we plant. We take care of it. We don't try to destroy it before we even get it in the ground. We have to teach the truth in love. The writer of Hebrews, he knew that the truth needed to be taught in love. He said, for the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Not to the, uh, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do we take a dangerous weapon and just flippantly throw it around? See, he's describing the seed as a sword. We handle it carefully. 
we take care not to harm someone with it, right? Now the seed, the Word, the, the power of God, it's both defensive and offensive. But we have to handle it correctly, right? Something else the, the sower must have in mind. He has to have confidence in that seed. That's one principle by which he goes out and sows again. Do we plant something that we know is not going to come up? Well, no, that'd be a waste of our time and effort, right? What about this? If we're not confident in what we are sowing, why would someone else be interested in it? Why would anyone else be interested in it? Why, no one. If I halfway act like I'd rather be doing something else than preaching the gospel or teaching someone about Christ, why would they be interested in listening to me? Well, they won't. They can pick up on that right away, right? So we have to be confident in what we're saying. Paul demonstrated his great confidence, didn't he? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He didn't hide around the corner. He didn't duck into the door when when some Judaizing teachers came along or someone who was a member of some pagan religion. He wanted to demonstrate what he knew to them so they could be saved. He had confidence in what the seed could do. To be able to harvest, we have to have sowers. We have to have sowers. There's a purpose for a sower. The sower must have principles when he goes out and sows. But we have to have some seed too, right? We have to have something to put in the ground. That's how it happens in our gardens at home. But we have to see that seed is powerful. The seed has life in it, right? It has something there. All good and perfect seeds have the germ of life built right into them. I don't have to go buy the germ of life and put it in my seed. It comes with it. It's a part of what it is. Without that germ of life, it's just nothing, right? It's no better than dirt. In fact, it'll finally just turn into dirt. It'll just rot away. It won't produce anything unless it has the germ of life. See, it has to be perfect. But it is powerful. We need to understand that. A scientist can take every kind of protein or amino acid or anything that is involved in the production of that seed. They can take the individual molecules of whatever they're made of and they can bring those together into something and they still can't create a seed. They still can't create life. Life is built into it. And the spiritual germ of life, well, that's the Word, isn't it? That's the Word. That's where we get life. That's how we produce Christians. Spiritual life cannot be produced outside of the seed of the kingdom. It just makes sense, doesn't it? We have to have that. And Jesus told us that the seed of the kingdom, Luke 8, verse 11, the parallel account, the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. That is where the germ of life is. It doesn't matter what Rick Owen says or thinks. It only matters what God says. It matters what His seed says. Now, someone can accurately repeat that, make some kind of application in our lives today. Let's listen to them. But they didn't come with the information. We have to have that. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit 
in their life. John 6, 63. We remember what Peter said, talking about Christians. He said Christians are, are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. The Word is incorruptible. It's going to live on forever. And it is the Word that produces Christians, that gives us spiritual life. He says it lives and abides forever. 1 Peter 1.23 You know what? We must never decide not to sow because we do not believe it will grow. Let's, God, let's, let's allow God to handle that. Let's sow the seed. He'll take care of it growing. We plant corn seed, but we can't see the life in the seed, can we? I look at a a corn seed that has the germ of life in it, and I look at another corn seed that maybe won't come up because it's defective in some way, I can't tell the difference just by looking at them. So what's the application? I can't look at someone's heart, their their mental state, their, their emotional state, and say, that's poor soil. That's not going to produce a, produce what I'm trying to grow. I can't plant the seed of the kingdom in that soil. I can't do that. I sow whether I believe it will grow or not. I simply have to sow. We have to live in such a way that we have faith in the power of the gospel. It will take care of itself. Let's just tell other people about it. Let's never have a, a pessimistic view or, of the results of our efforts either. We may knock every single door in the county and not a person decide that they want to to hear anything about our Lord. Have we failed? No, we've been successful. I think of poor Noah when I think of things like that. Because the seed is powerful, it will produce. It'll produce. It may not produce all that we would like for it to produce, but we understand that going in, don't we? But it is only going to produce after its kind. That's a very important statement. We have to understand that, right? We plant corn. Do I expect beans to grow in its place? No, not at all. If I'm planting corn and I'm wanting beans, I'm planting the wrong seed, right? If I want Christians and I plant denominational doctrine, I'm planting the wrong seed. I have to plant exactly what the Bible says. The seed is the Word of God. God knows what He's doing. All I have to do is plant it. All I have to do is sow it. He'll take care of the rest. God put that law into effect in Genesis 1.11, right? You sow something, it'll produce after its kind. If we want Christians and only Christians, we have to plant the seed of the kingdom. Not some new and improved idea that Rick Owens comes up with. That's not the seed of the kingdom. That's, that's something that's been changed. That's a counterfeit, Right? We want the unadulterated, perfect seed of the kingdom. And we can find it in the Bible. We want Christians. And if we want Christians, doesn't it stand to reason we have to maintain a perfect seed, right? Those who have planted physical gardens, they understand that sometimes the seed will mix, right? If you plant sweet pepper right next to hot pepper, you may get something in the middle. 
You're certainly not going to get sweet pepper or hot pepper. You're not going to get what you want. What about planting watermelons in the same row you plant pumpkins? It may look like a watermelon, but let me tell you, it's going to taste like a pumpkin. I don't like pumpkins other than to carve them. So I have to keep that pure, right? I can't allow something else to come in and adulterate that seed. You know, plant your watermelons over here and your pumpkins behind the house or whatever needs to be done, right? Because we want a pure line and we want that seed to stay that way. When the seed of the kingdom is mixed with the denominational doctrine, what happens? Well, the same thing happens that happened as is recorded in the letter to the Galatians. Paul, in chapter 1, he said, I can't believe it, beginning with verse 6. I can't believe that you are so soon removed from the gospel of Christ to another gospel. But he says, you know, that's not a gospel. That's not the gospel. And then he goes on to warn them. If someone teaches something that we haven't taught, and they've taught things by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, they're going to be accursed. Don't listen to them. And so he gets over to Galatians chapter 5. And he's explaining to them, you're allowing the seed to mix, right? You're taking the the seed of the kingdom and you're bringing in some other seed and you're mixing it with it and you're producing something that is not a Christian. Those Judaizing teachers, they said, oh yeah, you have to be a Christian. Here's the seed for that. But on top of that, you have to be circumcised as a religious act to demonstrate your covenant with God. See, they brought in other seeds. You remember what Paul said? Galatians 5 verse 4. If you're justified by the law, and that's what that means, I have to do something that's found under the old law to be justified in the sight of God, though I don't live under the old law any longer. But if you're going to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. They adulterated the seed. It got all mixed up, see, and it's producing something that it's not supposed to produce. And whatever it's producing, it's not producing Christians, it produced a denomination in the day of Paul. And that's not what we want. When when we look at the seed, let's keep it pure. Let's keep the seed pure if we want to receive a bountiful harvest. Now we may have people to sow. We may have the perfect seed to sow. But here's something else we have to have, and this is our third and final point. We have to have some soil. Not just any soil. We have to have a prepared soil. We have to get out there and we have to do some work, don't we? I put out a garden this past year. I wasn't very successful with it, but you know I put a lot of work into the preparation of that soil. I got out there and worked that soil and I tilled it up. In the parable... The soil is the heart of the listener. It's the mind. It's the mind of the listener. And that mind of the listener has to be prepared. We have to do it in such a way that makes that mind, that soil, able to take that seed. That's where preaching the truth and love comes in, right? If the soil is not prepared, we understand what that means, right? You go out and it's hard, it's packed down, and you put something on top of it, and that's where it's going to stay until something comes along and eats it. 
you know, whether it's a bird or some kind of other animal, it's not going to sink down into that soil because it's hard, it's packed, it hasn't been prepared. See, we're wasting our time when we do that. Second Chronicles 30, verse 19, Hezekiah, he prayed for everyone who prepareth his heart to seek God. Have to prepare your heart. That's what Ezra did, right? He prepared his heart to obey God. Ezra 7, verse 10. When the perfect seed of God does not grow, the problem is not in the seed. Might not even be in the sower. It might all be with the soil. Soil will prevent a seed from growing. I think we can see a very clear difference between the types of soils that we read about in this parable. Let's spend a few minutes talking about not just the prepared soil, but the particular types of soil. Now we can talk about the thorny soil or the rocky soil, but let's talk about what that means to us, right? Let's identify where in my life I might have rocky soil. So I can look at it and I can say, I don't want that. I want to avoid that, right? First, we hear about this wayside soil. That's that hard, packed down soil that hasn't been uh, prepared in any way. But you know what? It's very fertile. It is fertile soil. But nothing's been done to it. That, that seed is thrown down. And that soil represents the mind that doesn't understand the gospel but is not interested in understanding the gospel. That's that wayside soil. The seed will hit it. I don't understand it. And I'm not going to waste my time on trying to understand it. Have any of us ever had wayside soil? Yeah. I hope I'm not the only one that has been wayside soil in the past. In his recording of this parable, Mark stated the word is immediately removed from the heart after having heard it. Why? Well, Luke said that person does not believe and is not saved, Luke 8.12. Luke has implied that the, the, if the seed were allowed to remain in the heart, that it would grow. That something would happen, that it would do what it is supposed to do. And salvation would follow. But that's not what the case is, right? It's too hard. The snatching of, away of the seed, the birds come through and take the seed, that happens in a lot of forms. That can come in many ways. What about the, the friends with whom we run? Those people we spend a lot of time around. Maybe they've hardened my heart. Maybe they've talked me into not believing anything. What about hearing the truth and uh, the, the denominational crowd perhaps that I so associate with encourages me? Oh, you surely don't believe that. I've heard people tell me that they're not interested in what I say. They're a priest or they're a pastor. They'll tell them what they need to know. Look, that's wayside soil, right? They don't understand it and they don't want to hear it. They'll allow someone else to tell them what they need to know. What about a thought entering into the mind? We may have thoughts entering into our minds and, and that causes us to dismiss the word as foolish or unimportant. That's wayside soil. See, soil has to be prepared. It has to be worked. Judas allowed the thought of money to separate him from God, Matthew 26. Simon the sorcerer allowed the same thing to happen to him. 
Fortunately for him, Peter admonished him to repent. Acts chapter 8, verse 22, that he might not be punished for those thoughts. You know, sometimes a person may hear the word, they may be moved by it, they may sincerely believe it. And then, over time, they just don't act on it. You know, Satan tells us, you've got plenty of time. Don't you worry about that. You're just a young person. You're just a middle-aged person. He might say, you know, people are living well into their 100s now. You've got plenty of time. Brethren, that's wayside soil. We don't want that, right? We don't want that. Wayside soil, they've already got their minds made up. I don't want to hear it. I know what it is. Don't, don't get in my way with the facts. I know what I want to believe. What about those who maybe think, who believe that that, I believe what's being said, but that applies to someone else. That's wayside soil. That's a hard heart. Those people who make no, no effort to change. We don't want to be wayside soil. But we don't want to be stony ground soil either. Now the stony ground soil, I used to think that that's that soil that has big old rocks in it. You start tilling it up and you're moving these rocks. That's not what it is because stuff will still grow in that, right? The stony ground is a bedrock with a very thin layer of soil on it. Oh, you'll put a seed into that and it'll start growing. Well, you, you can grow a, a piece of corn or a bean in a styrofoam cup, can't you? It's not going to produce anything unless you put it in some deep soil. But that's what this stony ground soil is. It has just enough to start the growing process, but it's not deep enough to take root. It's not going to be a part of who that person is, right? There's no depth to it. It can't produce. That's the heart without strong conviction. That's what that heart is. The stony ground heart, oh, I want to be a Christian, but then when... Temptation comes along, I really want to do that too, and I don't have the conviction to stop doing it. It's stony ground. We don't want to be stony ground soil. See, Luke described it as those who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. We learn a lot from that statement. We learn that you can believe, you can become a Christian, but then you can fall away when you go back into that previous lifestyle. Well, who are these people? Maybe it's people who allow their emotions to get the better of them. You go and you, you hear a sermon, you get all ginned up and you get a little bit scared or frightened and emotionalism is just teeming through your body and then you want to you obey the gospel because you don't want to go to hell. And that's, that's honorable. But then you wake up tomorrow and it kind of, you got over it, right? That's stony ground soil. We don't want that. What about those who obey the gospel without counting the cost? See, they're not willing to pay the price that you have to pay to be a Christian. That's stony ground soil. Paul talked about that in Galatians 1, 6. We can fall from grace. Stony ground soil, we don't want that. But Jesus also spoke of the thorny ground soil. See, that's the ground where it's very fertile. Boy, it will grow but it grows other things than just the seeds. See, it's got these thorns growing up. We're told that those are the cares and the, the things of this life that chokes out the seed. Have you ever seen that? You plant something and the weed will grow every single time, right? You don't have to feed the weed. 
it'll get its own. Now the corn, the beans, the tomato, it'll be about a third of the size it ought to be and, and weeds over your head. Why is that? Well, I don't know why it is, but you've got to get rid of the weeds. I know that. If you get rid of the weeds, you get rid of the thorns, you get those cuckleburrs out of there, you can have some produce. But see, that's the things in this life that, that we allow to cause a problem. In fact, Mark said that this soil, it'll produce a plant and it will even bring forth some fruit. But not for long. It's choked out. I allow the worries of this life to get in my way. We can't allow that to happen. But who are those people? Am I one of those people? Well, one thing that happens from time to time is I set my sight on finances more than I ought to. Let me tell you something. Money is a good thing. I wish we all had more of it. But not to the detriment of our soul. Let's not lose our salvation because we're hung up on wanting more money. Paul said that there was a problem with that. He didn't say it was wrong to be wealthy. He didn't say it's wrong to be rich. Abraham was rich. Job was the richest man in the East. Boy, were they faithful. Sure they were. It's the desire and the love of money. Notice what Paul said. He said, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. Those who my whole motivation in life, I want money, money, I want to be rich, I want things, I believe that will make me happy. Not so, 1 Timothy 6, 9. The pleasures of this life are thorns. I like doing certain things. I don't want to stop doing them even though God doesn't want me to do them because I enjoy them. That's thorny ground. See, that's choking out the seed. We don't want any of that. But finally, he spoke about that good ground. We want to be good ground. This soil has been plowed deeply. It's been worked. It's been shown love and tenderness and and kindness and effort. Look, that's a characteristic that is not only necessary to become a Christian, but to maintain our Christianity. We have to be that way. We're to think on honest and noble things, Philippians 4.8. We must never allow unwholesome things to come in and interfere with our soil. You see, the hearer hears the word, but he listens to it. He does what is necessary. What about this person? They've been a member of a denomination or they've been nothing for their whole lives. They've got some parents and some some family members who were members of a particular denomination or nothing their whole lives. And you know what? People live and die in this world, don't they? I don't have any parents and probably most of us here probably don't have any parents because they lived and they died in this world. You know what? But that should not affect my salvation whether they were obedient or not. I cannot say, well, it's good enough for my daddy, it's good enough for me. Let me tell you, if my daddy were lost, he wouldn't want me to join him. He would not want that. We see that in the account of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man wanted to send Lazarus back. He said, I've got five brothers. I don't want them to come here. Do you imagine those brothers were saying, well, that's good enough for my brother, that's good enough for me. They may very well have said that. But that's not what he wanted. I can't let that happen. See, the good hearer will hear it and they'll recognize that's not right. And they'll do something about it. We want to be good soil. That's what we want. 
We hear the word. We receive the seed. Matthew 13, 23. And we understand. We can grasp what God wants us to understand if we will. Have you ever heard someone say, we just can't understand it all the same. That is a lie that came from Satan. That's a lie that came from Satan. Let's not allow Satan to cost us our souls. Paul said that whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge. Ephesians 3 verse 4. Let's receive the word. And when we're sowing the seed, let's do it in such a way that someone else can receive the word. The good hearer produces fruit. That's what we want, isn't it? That's the whole point of sowing. Produce something. Gain something. We won't allow the the temptations of this world to mess us up. We're not going to allow the the uh, temptations of the stony ground here to overcome us. We're going to have some conviction. We're not going to allow the thorns, the cares of this world to overcome us. We're going to, we're going to have conviction. We're going to work through that. We're going to till up our soil and we're going to be able to accept the seed. We want to be good ground, not the wayside ground. And we want to deliver that in such a way that people who hear it from us, they can be good soil. Let's help prepare their soil also. We may have a perfect seed. We may be very skilled in planting, but if we take no preparation for that soil, it is not going to work. It is not going to work. Now, that's not the seed's fault. That's not the seed's fault. Now, that's the sower's fault, but it's not the seed's fault. You know, when we read this parable, you know how many people in the parable obeyed the gospel? A fourth. A fourth. Now, that doesn't intend that you know, 25% of everybody that we talk to is going to obey the gospel. What it intends is few are going to obey the gospel. But if someone is going to obey the gospel, you have to have a someone to sow it. You have to have a perfect seed, and the ground has to be ready to receive it. And if we don't have those things, we are in trouble. So we've talked a little bit about the sower and the seed. The soil, hope maybe in a little different light. I want us to understand that we have to be sowers. We have to to sow only the seed of the kingdom. But we need to work talk about the soil of other people and ourselves also. We need to identify good soil as opposed to bad soil. We need to understand, I don't want to become bad soil because that can happen, right? Soil can be prepared and then if you leave it alone, you don't upkeep it, it can turn into bad soil, right? We don't want that. But if you have a need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you've heard something that's come into your heart through the preaching of the gospel, through hearing what God has said, and it has impacted you in some way, whether you've obeyed the gospel or not, if you haven't, allow that seed to grow and produce faith. Allow it to cause you to repent because of godly sorrow. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sin and live a faithful life. If you've done those things and you've become something other than the good soil, you can overcome it. We can work on soil. That's no problem. Repent of those things. Confess of those sins in the way it is necessary, whether publicly or privately. We'll pray with you and for you, and God will forgive you. If you have need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.